On today's Oregon Lacrosse podcast, we have 2019 Oregon Player of the Year, Alex Slusher. This podcast was actually recorded earlier in August, but I just got around to editing it. Alex and I discuss how he discovered the sport of lacrosse, his time as a basketball player, his journey as a high school athlete at Oregon Episcopal School, and his recruiting journey. Before we get into the interview, the Oregon Lacrosse podcast is brought to you by Madlax Oregon. Elevate your game this fall with Oregon's premier coaching staff. Register today for fall positional clinics, fall indoor league, or winter box team tryouts at madlaxoregon.com. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the Oregon Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Marcotte. I'm sitting here with uh, graduated senior attackman, Alex Slusher. Um, uh, how are we doing, Alex? Doing pretty good. Doing great. So pretty excited to have Alex on. Alex has uh, been a staple in the Oregon Lacrosse world probably since he was six, in sixth grade. I've coached Alex for several years. Uh, he's been around. He's a huge ambassador of the sport. Um, so it's super exciting to have Alex with us. Um, as our first true guest in the Oregon Lacrosse podcast, which is pretty cool. Um, so just to introduce Alex, Alex is a four-year player at OES High School under Coach Dennis Sullivan. He was a four-time All-State selection, three-time first-team All-State, three-time U.S. Lacrosse All-American, two-time state champ, 2019 Player of the Year, Under Armour All-American, Adrenaline All-American. He recently made the 32-man USA U19 training roster, massive accomplishment, uh, the end of this summer, he's heading off to Princeton as Inside Lacrosse's current number 11 recruit in the country. And in my opinion, and I think most people's opinion, by far the Oregon's most accomplished high school player and overall hardworking kid and great dude. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, that list gets very hard to say after a while, but you've definitely deserved everything that you've earned. And, you know, it's exciting to see your trajectory from when I started coaching you was were you a sixth grader? Sixth grade. Yeah. Sixth grade, and now you're going off to Princeton, which is just wild. So um, let's just start off this podcast with the start of your lacrosse journey. So when did you start playing lacrosse? When did you first pick up a stick? And maybe when did you? When was your first organized game? Yeah, so I was originally like a baseball player um, in third grade. I played a ton of sports as a, as a younger kid, um, basketball, football baseball a little bit of soccer um but I, I was never a big baseball fan um i enjoyed watching it to a certain extent but i it was too slow um for me and i had a bunch of buddies at ainsworth where i went to elementary school who um all played lacrosse and so i remember in fourth grade i decided to just pick up a stick and try to play and actually we were close family friends with the zabel family who were very involved with the Lincoln lacrosse program at the time. And I remember my dad set me up with just like, like once a week on Sundays, like I would go to Lincoln and Reed would kind of work me out. I mean, I was really little. So even saying training is a little bit of a reach. It was just taught me the split dodge, the roll dodge, the face dodge. And I, he was like, he was my role model. I thought he was the coolest kid ever. He, he made lacrosse really cool. And he also kind of helped me understand that, you know, there's certain things that 
prevent a kid like me from maybe being a really good division one basketball player but those same things might not prevent me from being a really good lacrosse player and um so as i got older i really started to realize that and i really fell in love with the game yeah i think most people most kids i would say most athletic kids and kids that are interested in sports kind of have their hands in a lot of things Mm -hmm. for me it was baseball i played baseball for lack of better words i hated baseball right i think most kids have the the hatred of baseball at some point they either you either love it or you hate it um, it's either too slow for you or it's just right for you and lacrosse kind of is that intersection or that path that a lot of kids find because you know springtime baseball is huge um, and I, I had the same route I play all those sports you know in the Lincoln lacrosse youth community and I found I found the sport because most of my friends were starting to play it and um, changed my life forever mm-hmm. so Reed if you're listening to this you are the reason Alex is going to Princeton. Yeah, he is. <laughs> for, he lack is. Of, for lack of better words. I still tell him that. I still tell him it to this day. I'll text him anytime something, you know, like, for example, after the U19 thing, like, he was one of the first people to text him, and I'm always the first person to tell him, like, dude, th- this is where it all started. Yeah. Um, was with just, like, a high schooler taking the time out of his day to, like, you know, really help out a younger kid. Yeah, I mean, I, Reed was a 20. 16 graduate 15 15 15 graduate from lincoln high school i remember reed reed was a great player in his own right played both ends of the field a great midfielder um yeah reed reed's just an overall solid dude and i think he's still playing he played lacrosse at uh santa barbara did he not yeah yeah and he's still probably still around the game in some fashion yeah um so awesome man so reed kind of got you into the sport Mm -hmm. and he was your role model for lack of you know better better term i don't know if he would you know he he wants you to say that but Um, it's kind of hard being thought of as a role model when you're that age. Mm-hmm. But can you think of now as you're developing and, and you were one of the better sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade lacrosse players, mm-hmm. uh, when you would go watch high school lacrosse games in Oregon, if you did even, mm-hmm. who who are some guys that stood out when you were growing up? Yeah. So, I mean, start like right here. I remember my sixth grade year, you, you were supposed to be at Denver, got hurt. Um, and it got announced that Michael Marcotte was coaching our sixth grade select team. And I don't even know if you remember this, but I'd gone, I'd looked up your highlights and the first practice, I remember telling you like, yo coach, I watched your highlights. Like it was so sick watching them. And you were literally like the attackman that I wanted to be your little guy. I wasn't ever the biggest dude on the field. Um, and so I remember that was a really cool experience for me because at the time I was a full on Lincoln kid, like Lincoln football, Lincoln lacrosse, obviously. And it was my first spring really kind of coming out of my shell lacrosse wise. I'd been a basketball player on a very serious team, um, for up until that point. Um, and I remember first practice, we played a game of sharks and minnows. Of course. Um, Great game. Great game. And I remember I won. And right after it, you made me the captain of the, uh, of the like select team. And it was, a really really cool moment to like even get like a little bit of respect from someone that i at the time really still do really revered and had obviously tons of respect for um so i, I wanted to start there um and then throughout middle school i i watched a lot of lacrosse i would go to as many games as i could um i remember like youtube i was all over everyone's highlights um oregon kids outside of the state um John Duffy was a big one um, that I that I watched growing up. His brother Patty, still one of my close friends, um, shoot with him all the time. He, I was playing with Patty at the time, and John would kind of be around the house sometimes. And he was a guy where he, he was close enough where I could like I see him and I would 
talk to him sometimes and he kind of made the idea of playing lacrosse at a super high level real because he was also a Lincoln football player, Lincoln lacrosse player. I mean, he went to Jesuit for a little bit, um, two years, I think. Um, but he was kind of a guy that I, I mean, and anyone who knows John will tell you he's, he's really a stand up dude. He's, he's got all of his values where they should be. And I, I really, I thought he was a, a really good role model growing I, up. I think John is everyone's role model. You know, John, when I was even older than him and watching him grow up and play, you know, he was like someone I looked up to even when he was younger because he worked so hard. Um, you know, lacrosse, he was so athletic and his athleticism carried him so far and he had a bunch of raw talent, but he, man, he really worked hard to refine his talent. And when he got to college, you saw just such a hardworking guy. I think he was a captain his junior year at Loyola, you know, national championship contender every year. That's a guy that I want most kids to go Google highlights. Yeah. He, he was a stud. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really overall great dude. I think most people, when you think about guys that have a bunch of success in the state um, that go on to play, they're all just great dudes. Mm-hmm. And they're all approachable. So most kids, I'm sure they could reach out to you, Instagram message you. I could always reach out to John. I could always reach out to the guys older than me. So it's a it's a cool community, you know, where you watch guys grow up and you now kids are watching you play and mm-hmm. you know, soon you're gonna be irrelevant for lack of yeah. better words, and yeah. they're gonna watch the next generation. And um but it is like a the Oregon lacrosse community is so tight knit. Mm-hmm. Lacrosse community in the world in the world is tight knit, but the Oregon lacrosse community is super tight knit and it's super cool to hear you see guys like John Duffy and Reed Zabel, who maybe his name's not as prevalent as John's, but another another really great player, really great dude. Mm-hmm. So all right, so you let's let's go into high school now. Did you did you play multiple sports in high school or did you not? I did. So um, I was at one point a very serious basketball player, but then as lacrosse kind of took off for me, I basketball kind of went in the back seat. Um, that being said, I played freshman year, um, sophomore year, didn't play junior year, and played senior year. Um, freshman year, I started the year on JV because I was traveling for lacrosse so much but one of the advantages of oes is that you can play multiple sports because it's not like jesuit where you gotta really focus on one sport to make varsity and you could kind of do both if you wanted to so after like being on jv for the first month got pulled up to varsity and from that point on i was kind of like the coming on coming off the bench play some defense you know i i always joke i had more rebounds assists fouls any stat category besides points like i probably had probably had more of um never never was a great shooter for lack of practice no lacrosse players are yeah no no lacrosse players are out there to start transition play defense and pick up fouls when they need to pick up fouls yeah so yeah um well that's i mean i think when i watch you play i can see basketball in you your change of direction your vision and most importantly where I see like basketball really like influence your game of lacrosse is in the riding game. You have great footwork in the riding game. You drop your hips really well. You take great angles of approaches. Basketball is in your riding game. I think that's what made you a very successful riding lacrosse player. Like Mm -hmm. without basketball, you might not have had that skill set or arsenal of being a great rider. And for the young kids listening, Alex probably like 50%, maybe 40% of the looks he got was because of how hard he rode yes. um, and got the ball back for his team. Attackmen that don't ride are useless, especially in the summer game where games are 20 minutes long. So um, that's where I see, and that's where I preach multiple sports. I'm not like a, 
a guy that's like, you got to play multiple sports. You got to, you got to, you got to. I will promote you go play multiple sports. Um, I, kids, go, go find your passion. Like, go find what you want to do, but try another sport. It's no harm in trying it because there are so many things, soccer, football, baseball, basketball. Like, there's so many, even like I had a couple of players play water polo and they became a better athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of picking up a sport, trying it, maybe if it's a, in a pickup sense or the YMCA or whatever, just go play it mm-hmm. because you'll become a better lacrosse player. Yeah. I think you're a testament to that. Yeah, I think I just to kind of go back to that, I think that's one of the best observations someone has ever made about me as a lacrosse player mm-hmm. is basketball. So when I was a young kid, my dad, he knew a bunch of people in the basketball community, was trying to find an AU team to play on, and I got on this team called ICP, which doesn't exist anymore but was – far and away the best club basketball team in Portland. We were like, we never lost to any teams from Portland. And what that team taught me, like we always pressed every, no matter what the score was, like we ran a one, two, two press. And I was always the guy at the top of the press. And that team that I played on, like in the state championship, my junior year, when Jefferson played Grant in basketball, eight of the 10 starters on the two teams combined were in my program, either in my grade or the grade above mine. And I wouldn't have been able to play basketball at as high of a level as some of those kids eventually, just kind of when puberty stuff kicked in. But what basketball taught me to do and what playing with those high caliber athletes taught me to do was you always had to compete. And if you weren't competing for every second of practice, every second of the game, someone was going to come in and take your spot. And it really showed me the value of hustling and putting like for lack of a better word, like putting the team above yourself and that that's riding right there. And it's actually kind of like full circle ish that something that is so like selfless, like riding can actually be the thing that gets you recruited. Um, uh, it's, it's so important for kids to understand that if you are, if you're tr- trying really hard to help your team win in any facet you can, coaches are going to love that. College coaches are smarter than every parent, every player. And they're on the sideline. They understand when they look at a player, it's not about the goals and the assists and you know the break ankle breaking dodges. Well, it might be great, and they might love seeing that because it's like, you know, it's kind of like that like shiny toy. They're like, okay, this guy's got a great split dodge. Let's keep watching. But if you don't continue to do the stuff that teams do, um, riding, hustling ground balls, all this stuff, they cross you off pretty dang quick, right? So you have to be a selfless player. You have to play for everyone else. You cannot play for um, your stats or you won't get recruited. And that's just simple. Unless you are like the most generational talent of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think most kids look up to a kid like Brennan O'Neill right now, who's like the, some of the best stick skills I've ever seen. And I don't know him personally. I'm just saying like, I've seen his highlights and he got recruited because generationally I haven't seen a kid with that much slickness and that much size. Like you, you have to recruit that for the kids like us, right. Who are small, not the fastest, somewhat quick, but not the quickest, not the strongest. Um, our stick skills are fine, but they're not like Brennan O'Neill's. You have to differentiate yourself. And that's um, the hot button word right now is competing. And it's competing in everything you do. It's, it goes to the classroom. It goes to the field. So I'm glad you brought up that because I think if anyone's watched Alex play, it's very evident where, why he is the player he is. Mm-hmm. So, um, All right, so freshman year, uh, you play basketball. Got moved up to varsity pretty quick because you're a great defender. Yeah. Can pick up fouls, yeah. When the team needed it, um, but let's let's talk about the lacrosse of freshman year. Okay, you come into OES, a storied program. Coach Dennis Sullivan is 
one of the best, if not the best, in the coach in the state's history. Uh, the stuff he is able to do with the players he has, and not that there's bad players, so it's just the, the amount of players he has simply is nothing short of incredible. So what were your expectations coming in as your freshman, you know, kind of now small fish, bigger pond type of scenario where youth lacrosse, bunch of success, now you don't really know what to expect as a freshman. What's it like knowing Dennis Sullivan's now your coach, he's going to ride you for four years, and I'm a freshman, and I'm probably one of the smallest kids on the team? Yeah, so, I mean, first, like, the expectation, I mean, it'd been a while since OES had won, but, I mean, I remember when I was in eighth grade, Jackson Orf was texting me about coming to OES. I went to the open house, and I sat down with Soli, and probably 45 seconds into the conversation, I knew for a fact that if I got into the school, I was going there. And my parents were probably, it only took them 30 seconds to think that. It was right away. It was the place where I wanted to go. Um, And there were definitely some challenges that I knew were going to come, but the expectation was always to get to win a championship every year. I mean, you can talk about like goals, assists, like awards, but at a certain point you talk to anyone who's, you know, really played a lot of high school sports, especially the cross. The goal is to win every year. Um, and I think you understand that just as well as I do. Um, and it, it really didn't seem like something that, you know, we were like sure was going to happen or even thought was going to happen. But everything that we did was had the, the goal in mind of, of winning a championship. So freshman year, um, I guess my first goal was to make varsity and then to start on the team. And then it as the season kind of got going, it, well, I guess practice got going, it became apparent that like we have one stud, Trevor Johnson, who was a great Dodger, but we didn't have a lot of other weapons. So it really gave me a chance to like show people what I could do. Um, and I think, you know, I worked really, really hard that fall going into the, that spring. Um, and I, I really, I, I had a good freshman year, but we also lost in the, the quarterfinals, which was definitely a disappointment. Yeah. You had, um, According to your stats, unofficially, 66 points, honorable mention All-State, um, but I think you would have traded any accolade for the chance to play in a semifinal or a championship game. Yeah, I always, I literally, my parents, my sisters always kind of make fun of me because I remember telling them, like, throughout the year, like, I, I mean, I still have three more shots at this, but, like, this is a senior's last chance. And that year we had, I think, 12 seniors on the team. It's a lot for OES. A lot, lot. It was, like, the biggest <laughs> senior class we'd had in a while and definitely not like there we had some studs in the class but it wasn't like all those kids had played lacrosse for their whole life but they were really good guys and they showed me the value of like kind of what it means to be on a team and how much it sucks to lose at the end because when we lost at, at lake ridge my freshman year it was really sad knowing that like i was never going to get to play with those guys and it kind of showed me that like okay like i don't want to see Henry Morset walk off the field his last high school game in a loss right no um, it's, it's it's I always tell people and I have this conversation not many people get the opportunity you know their last game of most people's last game of playing anything is a loss mm-hmm. right like most yeah. people don't get to hold the trophy up for their last game um so it's it's really special when you can kind of put that together for somebody and I know when I was a underclassman it was my goal to see we lost in the state championship my freshman year, and it was heart-wrenching to see the seniors go. I mean, there were some really, really talented seniors, and all they wanted to do was win because they won the year before and you know, kind of wanted to keep it going. But I cried because they were crying, right? So it made, it made it so clear 
it was about winning mm-hmm. championships. You know, I didn't, you know, as a freshman, I was young. I was uh, young and dumb, lack of, you know, I cared about my stats. Every year after that, it was like, I'm here to win a state championship. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the difference between a, a championship caliber team and a team that's good but won't get there is because a team that cares about stats, cares about their accolades, and preaches that and, like, holds kids, some kids higher mm-hmm. on a pedestal, yeah. it's not going to get there, yeah. right? So I'm sure Coach Shelley, I mean, you won't even hear congrats for first team All-State. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I was about to say that. Like, at OES, there were – there could have been a lot of times where we could have like praised people individually and we had very talented individual players, but it, it's never really about that. And you get to a certain point, like pretty much after you score like your first high school goal where it's like, all right, cool. Like no, everyone here on this team has the same goal and that's to win. And if that means that like you're going to score five goals or you're not going to score at all it to the people on the team, it, it doesn't matter because you've got to see yourself as a collective whole, not yeah. as individuals. I mean, personally, my, junior and senior and state championship i had below average games for myself and at the end it didn't matter yeah. like no one cares about the goals and assists you score they're like oh man you, you had some great years at lincoln when i was playing and it was you know that's that feels better to me than my stats i couldn't even really tell you my stats but um no it's really cool it's it's cool for a kid of your age to you know have that insight right i don't think a lot of kids have that insight um so now we're out of freshman year sophomore junior year, state championship we reached our goal right so what what was the shift on maybe the team level the culture level the coaching level the the individual player level why what was it about the sophomore and junior teams that won the state championship where the freshman year team did not yeah so i think there's a couple levels of that first thing i gotta say it um sophomore junior year in every single big game we had the advantage at the face-off x which you can talk about like there were tons of other things that were also played a big factor but i mean most people don't know tim malug's name and that's because oh i do yeah i know i know <laughs> i know marcott knows his name um but he quite frankly he was never the best face-off guy in the state but whenever we needed him to win 50 percent of the face-offs 60 percent of his face-offs he'd give us that and he'd give us a goal on a fast break and that made a massive difference so i, I have to start with that that i think really allowed us to kind of play the way we did one and of my favorite battles was last year which michael shakran who just graduated lo junior facing off against tim two really compact fire hydrant type yeah. players that loved loved hitting and loved you know boxing out it was fun to watch from a coaching perspective that was just that was really cool and tim man he no offense to mike shakran because i think he's a great player but tim seniored him you know what yeah. i mean like that's just that's mm-hmm. what a senior does mm-hmm. mike got his chance later but um tim was a special player and you could it was it was evident when he graduated right yeah. like it was like oh crap tim's gone and we didn't realize it too we didn't we didn't i mean we loved timmy but we didn't realize like that 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 enabled us to do everything we did and i think another thing that was really special about those two years was we were close 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 friends um at oes you eat in the cafeteria for lunch and there were two tables um right next to each other probably 10 guys at each table probably three or four guys out of those like, collective 20 weren't lacrosse players. So every day we were eating lunch, hanging out with the team and it, it, we were so, so, so close. I, we're still all best friends. We're together whenever we're in town in the summer. Um, and 
so like Abe Harris, one of my best friends, came over from Callan with me. Jack Schlendorf, got the Morissette brothers, like John Fitzhenry, Charlie Norgard, Colby Bullard. Like we had a lot of really solid dudes that all really wanted to win. And so it really started that sophomore fall. We just we started grinding. Like we made sure that kids who wouldn't be in the weight room normally would get in the weight room. And I have to give Jack a lot of props to that. He Jack Schlendorf was so the captains my sophomore year were me, Jack, and Henry Morissette. And Jack was always kind of like that. I mean, anyone who knows his dad, Big John, he, the way that, that he, I mean, Jack was kind of like that, uh, around the kids. He was very, people would get irritated with him sometimes at a certain point because he was so dedicated and wanted the best out of everyone. He was mature, like beyond his years, beyond I feel his, like. Yeah. Beyond his years. And he made sure that, like, I was always, I would say like a little bit more of the good cop, um, in the captain relationship, but it started with the captain's practices and getting, I mean, Colby Bullard dude didn't play lacrosse for three years, comes back from Amsterdam and we got a stick in his hand again. And if we don't get him out of those captain's practices, we don't have a third pole to cover standard OS move, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a third pole then to cover. I, I mean, he guarded Ty DeLance in, in the state championship for a little bit. I mean, he was a big time player for us and that all started like in the summer and in the fall getting the guys together i remember when we lost my freshman year we literally had a captain's practice the next weekend so it was like june it was like a sunday in june and we were kind of just like we're all on the same page from that point forward like we were losing a ton of seniors we didn't really think we had much coming in but we really bonded together over that fall what you did have and i think why OS has been so good is what you did have was a coach yes. that really elevates the level of his players to mm-hmm. like a to like a height i really admire and i can't you know i'm going to try to emulate that in my coaching career but um what i want to get back to is because like man what you said about being friends and like man for like my four years of high school i ate lunch with the same dudes we had we had a huge senior class like you know fifth by the by oregon lacrosse standards like 14 15 16 kids i think mm-hmm. all together yeah. every single day every single year and for for the kids that listen to this high schoolers man you have to find a way to be friends with everybody because what you do off the field only enhances or is a disadvantage for what you do on the field mm-hmm. you gotta not don't that doesn't mean like lacrosse like go off into a corner and like eat your lunches together like be inclusive but gotta gotta interact off the field yeah. you gotta become friends if you're not friends and there's like animosity you know amongst people or like they you know they only see each other practice you're not gonna be successful yeah um so i thought that was really cool i think most high caliber state championship winning teams there's that element to it right so cool most people most teams can't win off town alone yeah and i think another thing that you said too that is i kind of want to highlight is like dennis sullivan one thing that i think he is so talented at doing is not only does he help all the players play at their best but he allows every coach in their own kind of like niche to really be their best selves so it's kind of there's kind of been a transition through my like sophomore and junior year solely became the athletic director and cam became more and more of the head coach um as time went on especially as far as like responsibility went like team dinners he like solely was just the athletic director he didn't have as much time and he i mean there aren't a lot of people let me just say that get to work for 45 minutes with martin winter every day at practice you know one of the best attack coaches in the state and he's working with me jack morset nick lund for 45 minutes that makes a huge difference and solely 
allowed Martin, he allowed Cam, he allowed Andrew Parker to like be their best selves, which then translate to our team being successful, I think. Yeah, no, I think uh, most head coaches will agree with me that you're only as good as your assistants. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have really great assistants this year that cared, were there early, you know, took responsibility to interact with the players on the, on their own. I didn't need to know about it because I trusted them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you guys have at OES is such a great working relationship with your coaches, mm-hmm. and it's something that I truly aspire you know, down the road, if I'm coaching a staff of mine to get to, um, I think, and I, I would be, I would be remiss to say it if I if if I didn't think Cam Rayfish was one of the keys of the championship cogs. Like he is absolutely, uh, at, like he is such a dedicated coach, super passionate, puts a ton of energy into you guys, does all does all the right things at the right time. Mm-hmm such an ambassador for the sport and you know talk about the the cam solely coaching model because i oh. think i think martin martin winter's there and i think andrew parker's there but the two tenured guys yes. are cam and solely absolutely and they kind of it's you know they run the show martin's like more of like the tactician of like kind of get you guys attack into inside role properly yeah. which martin can like <laughs> tell you immediately if you suck at an inside role yeah um but cam and solely are the culture drivers they're the the passion they're the you know what why OES has been so successful year in year out so what's what's that coaching dynamic like what's it like being underneath two guys that are so great at coaching yeah I I mean you're totally right that the kind of dynamic that they have was instrumental to our success and let me just if we didn't have those two guys coaching our teams we wouldn't have a, like forget one like we wouldn't have to we would have no championships like period um the way I don't even want to call it a good cop, bad cop type of thing because they're both kind of good cops. But Cam's the guy that, you know, you walk up to practice, like dab him up, give him a big hug. Like he's really excited to be there and he makes all the kids want to be there. And his positivity is at a school like OES where you don't have a ton of kids, you got to make sure that kids still want to play the sport. And kids would quit the team at such a high rate, higher rate if cam wasn't there he you talk about like dorm students from like asia who have never seen a lacrosse stick before like they'll come they'll play for a season and like even if they stop playing lacrosse whenever they see cam of course they're gonna dab him up of course they're gonna give him a big hug and and then you got Soli on the other hand who he's works at the school he's the athletic director so he's he sees us all on a day-to-day basis um you know my freshman year he was checking in on my grades like with my teachers like every week or two making sure that I was doing the right stuff in the classroom. And, and then when you get on the lacrosse field, there is, I don't know if I've ever been, I don't think I've ever been coached by anyone. I know that I haven't been coached by anyone more knowledgeable about the game of lacrosse than solely. He's it. It's one part of it is his lacrosse knowledge, but then the other part is how he communicates it and how he gets the best out of each person. He treats every individual differently because he knows that what works for Jack Morset isn't necessarily going to work for Jack Schlendorf. There are two different people and he's kind of mastered how to get the most out of each kid. So, you know, I was coached by Soli. He coached a black rhino team of mine when I was a, I want to say I was a junior, maybe a senior. But, you know, one of the best coaches I've ever been coached by, still to this day, I've been coached by a lot of people. But this coming summer, I've, I've had the chance to share a field with him, you know, relatively for the first time on a coaching level. 
and man, he he outcoaches every coach he's next to. It's crazy, and you he the way he communicates the simplest stuff in a game or the most complex stuff. He is able to take a very complex lacrosse situation, dumb it down to a point where a first grader has success with it. And that's what I admired. He was coaching, man, the 25, 26s, which are fourth, fifth graders at tryouts for Madlax. And it was like, it was incredible. I stopped coaching for a second because I had to watch what he was doing. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, it was like I was watching like a TV show because it was so good. Um, you know, I, conflict of interest, like, but I would love to share a field with him like during the spring. I'd love to see how he operates day to day, right? But uh, no, I mean, I, I hope to get Coach Lilly on this podcast so we can talk to him, but he is by far and away like one of the best, if not the best coach in the state of Oregon. And I think all his players think that. Yeah, right? I know. I mean, it's it's a belief. type. Like when you go to OES, it, yeah, it, it, playing for Soli, it it just it kind of changed lacrosse for me. Like that, so, And really the Soli and Cam dynamic because there are times where Soli is definitely going to yell at you. And like that's just how it is. And he's going to get mad. But like, they always kind of just found that perfect balance. And if you look at the, the polls, like the polls, the middies, whoever it is on our team, if you see them when they come into high school and then you see them when they come out of high school, it is incredible the amount of improvement that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for I mean, you look at a kid like John Fitzhenry, he was first team All-State as a freshman. Just and committed to Amherst. Too, just committed so. to Amherst. Congrats, John. Yeah, shout out, John. <laughs> um, but I don't, I mean, I don't think anyone saw that coming his freshman year and that's a testament to him working with Soli every day after practice they'd get their like extra little five minutes in right. um and yeah he just they they make lacrosse the two of them something that's easy to understand and then easy to go out and do successfully yeah no you guys what you lacked in maybe talent you know you had some very talented teams don't get me wrong but what you lacked in maybe talent or skill set or number of guys you made up for an execution mm-hmm. and like you executed the simplest things all the time. Like you dominated the simple and it's so hard to beat a team that dominates the simple. If they dominate, you know, the ground ball game, the passing and catching, and you are like 50% of what they can do, but you're more talented. You're still going to lose. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's really cool. Yeah. I, I also think another thing that allowed, allows Soli and Cam to coach the way they do is while we might not have the most like athletic kids at OES, kids can think. And that allows Soli to like, and Cam, Martin, and Coach Parker to kind of coach at like a, a next level because while like the kids might not be as fast as the kids from Lake Ridge or Lake Oswego or Jesuit, like we were kind of always able to understand what we needed to do mm-hmm. to, to win, even if we couldn't perform it at as high of a level as like what you said, you got to just do the simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I mean it's 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 really interesting. Like you could do a case study on OES yeah. over the course of years and just. It's incredible. Um, so let's let's transition to senior year now. So mm-hmm. you just graduated high school. You are off to Princeton. Um, curious to know how your senior went, year went from your eyes. Obviously, you didn't win the state championship, but man, like no one ever counted OES out. Right? It was like mm-hmm. it's like they dropped a couple games, but geez, I still don't want to play them. <laughs> I still don't want to yeah. play them in the playoffs. Like. If I see like OES on my side of the bracket, I'm like, oh my god! Like I really don't want to play them, um, just because like I know I'm going to get out game planned in some in some area of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was a different year. You, you mentioned the graduation of Tim Malik, who was your face-off guy. You graduated some other key pieces. What 
what was senior year like from your standpoint um, playing at OES? And, you know, maybe it was a less, I don't want to say less talented team because you guys have plenty of talent, but um, you probably didn't perform to your guys' expectations. Definitely. Right? You wanted to win a state championship. That was like, that's the precedent you set, right? Mm-hmm. You won two before and you come in like, you got to win because that's like the mindset you were talking about of sitting at lunch together, right? Yeah. Um, so what was senior year like for you? Yeah, so I think first something that I want to mention is that the sophomore and junior year, we just had a very special group as a collective whole. And there was a lot of kind of balancing between like the kids that were seniors that year, the kids that were juniors, sophomore, freshmen. Like there was a good balance of like the kids that really wanted it. And then if kids didn't really want it, there were enough kids that wanted to win so badly that we got buy-in from everyone. And I, I hate to say it, but I feel like a big part of it was, I mean, we had to work really, really, really hard to win those first two years. And definitely something that I could have done better was communicated that process to other people because we definitely didn't have that at the same level this year as we had in the past. Um, I mean, it takes a lot of work to win. And if you don't have a group of guys that are all willing to do it, then um, it's, it's definitely going to be pretty tough. And I think we definitely could have worked harder in the offseason we really thought so graduated jack schlendorf we didn't have a goalie so that was like what we thought was going to be the big issue and then we get this kid ryan brown started at d midi for us against lakeridge and he's the state pretty good goalie by the end of the year man really good goalie and so and he we could he was a good enough goalie for us to win a state championship with him for in the sure. cage for sure not a, he had some very 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 good like first game of the year against you guys mm-hmm. he played out of his mind i went and watched um your mercer island game which yeah it was not great for you guys. Don't no. get me wrong. He was he was getting shelled left and right because that Mercer Island team was pretty incredibly like talk like talk about a team that yeah. plays well together. He made a couple of saves though because this was after you played us at the beginning of the year and he you know now he's got more reps more practice time. He made like this kick save that looked like he'd been playing goalie for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Like he made this incredible kick save, like beautiful technique, step correctly, and I was like, God, man, like they didn't even have a goalie to begin the year yeah. and now they have a freaking goalie like how does oes keep doing this stuff to us but to your point like clearly not the issue yeah so. no no and i think we kind of like over i guess underestimated other holes that we'd have um on our team um and i think that that was honestly what led to our our losing in the quarters we i mean quite frankly this year we didn't have a we were short on bodies really short on bodies mm-hmm. we didn't i mean we probably ran like three or four middies. And, and I mean, one game you ran like three only. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was really, really tough. Um, I think the biggest... So our offense this year was actually, to my knowledge, more efficient than it had ever been by quite a bit, actually. Um, and our defense wasn't actually that much worse than it had been, even though we didn't have jack and goal. The biggest thing I think that we didn't have this year were we lost possession, whether that was clears, ground balls, turnovers, um, the or face-offs. We, I mean, if you are winning 10 to 20% of face-offs and have four or five field clears a game, it's going to be really tough to win. Yeah, and no. we worked really, really hard to try to get, try to change that. And at the end of the day, other teams just, they rode the ball back against us sometimes. Yeah. And we, we turned it over sometimes we didn't need to and we didn't win a lot of face-offs and that that like three or four goal loss to, or maybe it was five goal loss to Westland I think 
that's that's three or four goals right there in yeah. a game um and so i think it was definitely disappointing um but at the same time i got to play on an attack line with two of my best friends the Morset brothers and we were actually we had we had a really really good offense and abe harris Vernon cowell red dinger like they all had very good years it just we went from having the best goalie in the state and the ball 75 percent of the time off of face-offs to Ryan Brown, who actually, like I said, we could have won with him in goal. Oh, easy. But Jack gets you an extra three goals a game. He stops like three goals that no other goalie would stop. No, he's um, talented. Yeah. I think Ryan probably knows that. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. And, and the thing is, is like Ryan, Ryan did, he was beyond everyone's expectations for him. But you, Jack saves us three goals a game that no one else gets. And we have the ball like 75 to 80% on faceoffs versus you know, this year where it's like 10 to 20 most games. And I think that was the biggest, I mean, when we played you guys, that was literally the game. Like we were losing all the faceoffs, and you guys were dominating us. And then we won like five in a row in the fourth quarter. And yeah. that was literally what allowed us to win the game. For it, sure. In my opinion, it was, it was a, that was a battle. Two teams, you know, coming into their year trying to figure each other out. Yeah. That's those first, those first games are always super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like seeing the scores and then yeah. seeing them at the end of the year is it's, it's pretty cool how a team, can evolve or devolve depending on how Definitely. injuries go or depending on how um you know there's a lot of variables that can go into a season mm-hmm. so all right so unfortunately lost in the quarters but like you said you got a chance to play with some of your best friends probably wouldn't trade that experience for anything mm-hmm. you still have two state championships under your belt um and you know the accolades i listed off the beginning like not a bad high school career no let's get, let's, let's be honest um Let's. I want to go transition. You know, kind of a hard subject for a lot of people to talk about. Um, in the spring world, it's club ball, right? Like, I'm a proponent of it. Some other coaches are proponents of it, but some coaches, you know, don't like their players going off and playing X, Y, and Z or doing this. I think if you have a stick in your hand, you got a stick in your hand, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about your club ball experience um, and just kind of like what it allowed you to do or what you would have wanted different or anything like that so um let's start did you play was your first club experience was rhino still around when you were playing yeah so i okay. started i was a rhino kid to start rhino okay. west coast stars at the very middle school that was like seventh eighth grade yeah i think my first rhino summer was like summer after sixth grade mm-hmm. um and then by the time i was going into eighth grade that was when i switched over to 3d gleason came to oregon and the hand lease had kind of started the whole 3d thing like the summer before that right. but we were like we're going to play with Rhino this summer and then decide yeah. afterwards. And I heard when I was, cause I was, when that 3d came into Oregon, when it, you know, I was in college, I was like, man, that's gonna be hard to compete with. Cause you know, big, big brand, like just, just like the methodology behind how they train and how they operate their club is just attractive to a lot of people. And, um, obviously you had a great experience with it. You got better. You got to play with some great people. Um, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk about your, um, club experience in high school more specifically then. Um, what was like do you have a, a favorite memory from club or a favorite team you played on yeah Anything i mean like that? i do so i'm gonna get a, i got a lot of hate for this over the over my four years in high school but i'm a big believer in to be the best you have to play against the best as much as you can and um quite frankly like my 3d teams from oregon were were always good but when we'd play the stud stud east coast teams we were level below them and um i definitely if i would have stuck it out we probably could have helped the team be be better but 
I played one tournament with 3D Colorado, and let me tell you, our 3D Colorado team was good. Like, it's like I, a national level team was really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, I mean, we had kids, probably like t- twelve to fifteen kids from Colorado, and then like ten guys would like fly in from random states and play on the team. But we would all practice together in Colorado, which I thought was very you need, valuable. You need the practice. You need the practice exactly. And so, I, I, I can't say. I mean, I wouldn't say that there's. Winning Denver Shootout was always always really fun because that was the 3D tournament and we had a huge rivalry with Denver Elite, who's also like right there. And I think we like four four Denver Shootouts in a row. Um, pretty cool. Yeah, I think I was there for three of them. They won the year before when I wasn't on the team. Um, but this one, I literally this one kid, Mitchie Myers, faceoff guy, going to Dartmouth. The second he started playing for our team, like I think that was my freshman summer. We won. I won eight tournaments with him over two and a half years. Um, like Vale twice, um, Denver Shootout, like all sorts of all sorts of tournaments, and it was really, really, really valuable to be playing with really good kids in the off season because in the spring season, like I was getting locked off, getting slid to right away, and it was really frustrating. And so going and getting to play on a team where like. I wasn't getting slid to right away and I could like dodge and like actually get my hands free and not have someone like right in my face right away. I thought it was very valuable. And I think it speaks to how important it is to be part. I mean, like Madlax now in Oregon, it's a national organization and there's so many benefits to having a, a nationwide network, whether it's coaches recruiting, you know, getting on a team to play in some random tournament because you want to play in front of coach at school X, Y, and Z. You know, the Madlax Oregon team's not going there, but since it's a part of such a big organization, it allows you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do as far as getting exposure and improving. All right. I think Oregon's catching up. It's a slow game. Like we're still in our infancy of playing lacrosse in the state. Like mm-hmm. like it's been around for twenty five plus years, but that's not even close to how long the East Coast's been playing lacrosse, right? Yeah. So you do get these one off random Oregon teams that can go compete at the national level, like Black Rhino team that almost won champ camp. Mm-hmm. Like to, for an Oregon team to be in even the championship of Champ Camp is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, Champ Camp back when I was playing was like the the cream of the crop term. Like if mm-hmm. you won that, you were dubbed the club team of the summer. Yeah. Um, you know, and now now we got like the Madlax twenty twenty one double A team that's going and playing in three championships throughout the summer, like on the East Coast, like beating teams like Massachusetts and all these guys. So we're getting there, right? Mm-hmm. And. You know, I did. I I took the route you took. I I played some Rhino stuff because that was what was available when I was around. But I also went and played like national, like Brady's bunch teams, and I played some Tropics teams, uh, Adrenaline Tropics, you know, West Coast Stars. And I agree with you, man. I like. I think like getting the opportunity to go play those events um, showed me what I need to do to get better, mm-hmm. and showed me the level I need to be at in order to play lacrosse at the highest level or lacrosse where I wanted to get to. However, I will now looking back on the experience, I'm going to, I'm also an advocate of learning how to play both. Right. Because I think if you want the state to grow and I'm passionate about the state of Oregon lacrosse growing, the best players need to help the other best players get recruited. Mm -hmm. Right. So people will show up or coaches will show up to watch the best player in Oregon on one field, regardless if he's playing for Oregon or West Coast Stars or something. But now you have the, the opportunity for that coach to watch everyone else in Oregon Definitely. and understand, like, we are pretty good at the sport. Um, 
but to your to your point, like we're not competing at a national level yet at every age group. Right? Yeah, it's 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 the every age group yeah. type of thing. There's just different. Like you're right, the 21s, like Luke Morissette, like great my team. guy, like they had an amazing summer. Yeah. Um, and no, it's it, you're you're totally right. Like looking back on it, I do wish that I'd probably. I definitely could have played more for 3D and helped the state of Oregon grow more. But, I mean, there's pros and cons to every decision. And I remember I knew that it was going to be a con. Like, I was going to disappoint a lot of my friends and mm. disappoint my, some coaches and some people that had helped me a lot. But at the end of the day, that was just the decision that I made. And there was a, a lot of pros and a lot of cons to it. And I guess now I kind of can help make that right by, like, coaching Madlax mm-hmm. and giving back to the state in other ways. But, no, I mean... The, my dad always says like you just they're just they're good things and they're bad things about every decision and you just got to sit down and you got to look at them and you got to decide what you want to do and that's going to be different for each person depending on yeah. what your values are well what you did didn't alienate you mm-hmm. right like there's all these coaches are still going to like when recruiters call like going to have your back right yeah there's you know there's a difference between like giving the middle finger and walking away and never mm-hmm. seeing the state of Oregon ever again right yeah there's, yeah there's pro, like no it definitely wasn't like it's that. it's not like that but yeah. it's it's you know, I think I think you gotta like if you're to the level of you playing the sport, like they said, inside the cross number eleven recruit, like you gotta go out and play the best, right? Yeah. Oregon doesn't have the best. Maryland, New York, mm-hmm. that's the best. Yeah. Right. And you gotta go compete with them um, and have the opportunity to compete with them because you're on a national level team. So, um, super interesting to talk about club because you know it's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. Like, yeah. You have to play club to get recruited in the state of Oregon. Mm-hmm. There's I can think of one, maybe two players in the state of Oregon that have gone on to play Division One lacrosse without having played club. Yeah. It I mean, just doesn't work. Like, no. I think of a guy like Eric Rustic, who's starting LSM at Notre Dame right now. I don't think he played club lacrosse. No. He got recruited because he's a great football player. Yeah, yeah. Um, starting QB on the state yeah. championship team. Yeah. And, you know, Notre Dame lineage in his family. Um, not many people are that fortunate. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So it's just the nature of the beast. All right, so transition from club ball to i know you spend countless hours training individually you Mm -hmm. probably have more solo hours with just yourself than you have with trainers and Mm -hmm. coaches and stuff um i'm just curious on your individual training philosophies maybe some routines um what is like a normal like alex lesher's waking up he's gonna go train today like today is like i'm gonna get better at lacrosse day Mm -hmm. what does that look like yeah, so, I mean, it actually changed a lot as I got older and I learned new things. Like, what I do now is totally different than what I did my freshman year. Um, but I'll kind of give you all the ingredients. Um, and there are different orders in which you can do it. But a big thing that I've started doing recently, Michael Sowers, a lot of people, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know his name. He's If you don't, go Google him. Go Google him, yeah. Uh, one of the best players in the country. He's going to be a senior at Princeton and he got on the phone with me at the beginning of the summer and was like, listen, like every single day you got to go out on the wall and get 500 reps because when you step on campus, like you can't, the stick can't be a question mark. Like it's got to be an extension of your body and can't be thinking about every pass you make. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I've taken that to heart. I didn't actually used to spend as much time on the wall as, as that, but since he told me that I've been doing it every day and I, I really do notice a difference um, when I go out and shoot everything just, it just everything kind of clicks a little bit more and there's not like a an exact science like why well i guess there kind of is they say 10,000 hours makes you good and at something or a master at something and if you get 500 reps on the wall that's like 500 reps that someone else didn't get that you got and you could do it in 10 minutes mm-hmm. um so that i've recently learned and it's become a bigger part of 
what I did, but we'd go out to, to shoot. I'd always have a ladder. I was a big ladder guy, especially in like eighth grade freshman year. Um, so I do a lot of footwork, like as an attackman, I think that's super important. And then I always did a lot of shooting down the alley, which is funny because I don't actually play very much midfield, but first of all, I always, I'd quite frequently be shooting with Patrick Duffy and he hates getting shot on from X. So (laughs) I'd always shoot down the alleys. And while I didn't actually take a ton of alley shots in high school, that motion of like being able to like turn your hips and develop like that core strength to shoot while you're moving is going to be important no matter where you're playing on the field. So always did a lot of alleys. And then I just take a bucket of like 50 balls, put them at X and go like 10 question marks lefty, 10 question marks righty, then 10 inside rolls righty, 10 inside rolls lefty, and really just work through the progression of what I would be doing in a game. And the key to it all though is doing it full speed. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing it full speed, it's not helping you out because it, yeah, there's just no point in practicing at a half speed. So whatever you're doing, doing it full speed, but also practicing the exact shots that you're going to be taking in a game. Yeah. Well, I think, I think for kids, like you said, like I don't take a lot of alley shots in games, but I, you know, practice what you do in games. You operate a lot above the net, like yeah. in your offense at OES, you're very proficient going down the alley. Mm-hmm. You roll back really well above the net. You shoot really well on the run. So you did use it in games. Yes, yes, I definitely did yeah. use it. Yeah. Um, it was definitely like a threat. Like you had to know if Alex was above the net or if he was behind. Like he changed up how he dodged. Like you could definitely tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so super interesting, yeah. Yeah, and also like it also changed as I went through high school. Like freshman year, I played a ton behind the cage. But like by the time I was a sophomore, especially junior year, but by the time I was a sophomore, like – I was getting slid to literally the second I would start dodging. And like you, a lot of times I'd get locked off too. So like if I was at X, like what, right when you beat your guy at X, you can't shoot cause you're behind the goal. So like sophomore year into our playoff run, I started playing more and more above the cage. Cause it's like, I wanted to be able to like be my guy and shoot it right away. And I couldn't do that at X cause I was behind the goal. I think that's the nature of lacrosse, right? Yeah. Like you're six, we put six offensive guys out there. It's less like when I was growing up, it's like there's three tagging below Jilly and there's three middies above and we play triangle offense. Like mm-hmm. now it's, you got to be able to dodge from everywhere. Yeah. Like if I put you on the wing, I need you to know how to dodge from the wing. You might dodge from the wing in one offensive progression, but next you're going to dodge from X. Mm-hmm. Like you need to learn how to do all that. Um, so I, I like how you talked about, you kind of surrounded the cage, right? Your training yeah. metho- methodology was like, I'm going to, attack the goal from every angle possible in my training routine so when i got out there and i was found myself in the high wing i knew what to do yeah so totally yeah so you were like all encompassing like i think what what i want players to understand is that going out there and just taking pouring about bucket of 20 balls and just going down the alleys full speed is great and shooting that and then leaving is like wow okay well you really only get good maybe better at one thing yeah yeah, there's so many things you need to get good at. And a big part of it, too, I think, is watching lacrosse and then going out and trying to, like, when I was younger, I literally, in our basement, like, I had a little, like, three-by-goal, and I would, like, talk to myself. Like, you can ask my sisters. Like, I would literally be, like, the announcer for myself, and I'd be, like, so back then it was probably, like, I guess not even Rob Pinnell. I, I would literally pretend to be, like, kids that were, like, a year or two older than me who I, like, thought were way better than me or like playing against them, I would create all these like imaginary situations in my head. And I would literally just like, and then as I got older and I would go out and start just doing that, like, but like outside, like I would think like, okay, I'm going up to do a question mark and this is how Rob Pinnell does it. And like right now I'm split dodging and finishing topside, And like, this is how Jordan Wolf does it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're not watching players and then going out and trying to copy them, like 
you talk about Kobe, like Kobe Bryant worshipped like Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan mm-hmm. growing up. And he would go out and like practice like he was them. Lacrosse, I think, is the exact same way. No, it's got well, I think every sport is the exact yeah. same way. You yeah. only you you can get so much better by watching people that are better than you. Mm-hmm. And there's if you think you're the best in the world, then well, probably wrong. A. But there's so many people out there better than you doing mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. Yeah. And it's studying them. And I don't think kids today study as much as kids back, you know, even you studied, but you were a rarity in your time. Like kids were getting into other things yeah. and you were a lacrosse rat. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a sports rat, but like you really study the game. I remember getting my first smartphone when now most kids listening to this today would be like, wow, you lived in a you know prehistoric era. I got my first smartphone. When I was junior high school. It was the first time I could watch like YouTube on my phone. Kids have, access to youtube now and they're like fourth grade it's wild so i would but i would take um i would clip because back then you couldn't like buffer like i couldn't be at the field like watching youtube it just take too long i would clip things off youtube put them on my phone and i would go try to emulate rob pinnell like he was at cornell back then but now he's like the best tackle in the world i would go try to emulate um big guy for me was like billy bitter not sure if you know who that is you might know who jimmy bitter is um but I try to emulate everything they did, but I just watch it as I was on the field and go do it like 20 times. Mm-hmm. Come back, watch Jordan Wolf, Dodge from X. All right, I'm going to do that 20 times. And, you know, some things worked for me, some things didn't. Some things ended up in my game, but some things didn't. Um, but that's like, the, that's like discovering yourself as a player mm-hmm. by studying others. Right? Yeah, definitely. I heard a great thing recently was um, you got to emulate before you innovate. So emulate everyone you can and then discover your own style. Yes. So... I agree with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So now talking recruiting. So Alex is going off to Princeton. Uh, when do you take off? August 29th. So recording this on August 7th. So three, yeah, three weeks ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you excited for that? Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm really excited. Cool. Um, let's talk about your recruiting, your recruiting journey. It's probably pretty wild. Um, it's always stressful. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be the number one recruit in the country. It's stressful. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your recruiting journey. You were getting recruited when early recruiting was still kind of a thing. Completely. It yeah. was super early. Ridiculous. You probably had zero clue what you wanted to do in life because you were, you know, barely hit puberty yet. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about what that was like. And then didn't you... Didn't the new recruiting rule take into effect like after you committed? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I had like six months where I couldn't talk to the coaches. That's super weird. Yeah. But uh, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your recruiting journey. Let's start with maybe freshman year. What was freshman year like recruiting? Yeah, so first of all, like this is how crazy it all was. Like my recruiting started when I was in eighth grade at Denver Shootout in June. That was the first time coaches were at my games. Like I literally remember we were playing some team from Texas and Maryland, UNC, and... God, one other school. I don't want to say it wasn't Notre Dame. It was Maryland, UNC, and maybe Virginia. There was like three coaches though, and you can see it. I'll go back and watch the video of like myself playing as an eighth grader. And there's these three coaches with their like clipboards and their camping chairs, and I'm literally like 14 years old. And our whole team's for like this is like the first time our 3D teams like gone to Denver shootout. And I actually I, I remember in that game I won a Braveheart, and I was so happy because the coaches like after the game, they like went up and said some stuff to Jamie and it was like, Oh wow. Like I might actually be getting recruited. Like this is like the first time it's become real. So 
that's how crazy it was. Like that was summer after eighth grade. Probably um, things eighth graders do not need to be thinking about. No, no. And the one thing I will say is going to Catlin Gable in middle school where there are all these kids that like when they're 12 years old are already talking about like which colleges they want to go to and like how like you're not going to get into like a good college because you're not very smart. And like one of the things I kind of realized from a young age, which was the most important thing for me to realize was that lacrosse was an avenue for me to get the best possible education that I could. And that was always my goal. Um, I wanted to be an amazing lacrosse player and like I could have never dreamed of having like all these accomplishments, state championships. But at the end of the day, the most valuable thing that lacrosse has done for me is allowed me to go to Princeton, which is one of the best schools in the country. And let me just put it this way. If I wasn't playing lacrosse, my chances of getting into Princeton would be not very high. I mean, even the smartest kids in the world have like a 5% chance of getting in. So that was really important for me to realize. And so started coaches were at my games that whole summer. And then going into freshman year, the interest kind of picked up a little bit. Like I visited like some of the bigger schools, like Michigan, Duke, Georgetown. But then I was also looking at the Ivies. So Harvard, Penn, Princeton, those were the three main Ivies that I was looking at. And November freshman year was when I kind of blew up. I had like three straight weekends where I played out of my mind and I'll never forget after the Philly showcase all-star game. So that was like the big event for freshmen at the time was the Philly showcase. I, one of my best friends, actually a kid who's also playing attack with me on the U19 team, Lance Tillman. I remember he won MVP Philly showcase and I was runner up MVP. They announced it in front of like a hundred college coaches. And then right after that was the all-star game. And if you go to my highlight tape from freshman year, like one of the first plays or the first couple, I think, are me in that all-star game and literally like when I scored three goals in that all-star game that was when like every single door it's crazy how every door opened up after that but like after those three weekends of playing really well that was kind of like the icing on the cake and I remember going back to my hotel and there was like so many coaches that had hit up Gleason who was kind of like doing it at the time that we were just like all right like realistically I'm gonna not gonna go I'm not gonna choose anywhere over Penn, Harvard, Princeton, or Duke. And so I basically told everyone else, like, I've just narrowed it down to four schools. And then my parents were like, this is an important decision. You're not going to be making it right now. So most kids were committing, like, at that time, were being pressured to commit, like, before Christmas, before New Year's, in the next, like, couple months. So I took, but I took probably, like, six months to make the decision. And I revisited all four of those schools. And Princeton was just my place. I, I loved it. It really came down to, to Duke and Princeton. And it was like such a tough choice because it's like win a national championship while also getting an amazing education or go to school where like Jeff Bezos went to school. Yeah. Um, and I just, I fell in love with Princeton and the, the allure academically just kind of outweighed everything for me. Um, and like Donowski, Caputo, like, those are amazing dudes and they are like I couldn't speak higher of coaches than I would of the coaches at Duke and I really wanted to go there but unfortunately you can only go to one college so you might I have w- a fifth master's year who knows yeah yeah who knows um, but I went back and forth for months I would, couldn't decide and then I eventually decided on Princeton mm-hmm. um, and it was definitely pretty hectic because actually the coach at Princeton got fired like right after I decided that I wanted to go there. 
So I had to wait until they hired a new coach to like officially announce it. Cause I had to make sure that he was on board, but it actually ended up being the offensive coordinator, Matt Madelon, who's okay. the coach now. Yeah. Um, and so literally the day he was hired, um, cause he knew that Princeton was my number one school and I was waiting on the hiring to be announced before I told Duke mm-hmm. that I was for sure going to Princeton and, um, day he was hired i committed to him i remember it was the day my freshman year ended so i was on the way to denver shootout wow. um madelon got hired saw it on inside the cross called him later that day and we made it official and then you just wait for three years wait for three years <laughs> yeah it's wild wild yeah it's i i'm a bigger fan of the process now i am too um there's a little you know the 2020 class it was super stressful for that class because like i remember helping kids get recruited and then like they're going through all this early recruiting and then they had to stop. Yeah. They weren't even looked at anymore mm-hmm. because this new rule that went in for those that are listening. It's uh, September one of your junior year. Junior year. Yeah. That you can be contacted by coach. You have any contact with the coach outside of um, just like a, you know, like a flyer of, for like a camp or something that yeah. they're putting on, but you get yeah, that. You can't even be contacted where Alex's journey started before he even stepped on the high yeah. school and, field. And the, the even crazier part about all that is like back then, even though you could talk to them, you had to call the coach. The coach couldn't, wasn't allowed to call you for whatever reason. So basically like the coach would text your club coach and then your club coach would text you and be like, call Chris Fife's from North Carolina at four thirty. And literally my freshman year, like I, first of all, I missed like six of the first eight Fridays. Cause I had to go to the East coast to play lacrosse camps showcases Mm -hmm. visits and then literally every day after school there'd be like right after school because like east coast time difference like i was literally like starting my freshman year and like most kids like they finish up school and like they go get on the bus i would like i there's this one courtyard at oes i always make my calls in i finish up school i'd go to the courtyard i'd call like whichever coach i needed to call and this was literally like for two or three months in my freshman year. It was like, I remember like I talked to my parents now about it. It was insane. Like no one should be doing that. I should have been like focusing on being a freshman in high school, not where I was going to be a freshman at in college. Yeah. Um, should have focused on getting in trouble more. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I, that's a crazy experience. No one with these new recruiting rules, Hey, no one's ever been through that level of recruiting. And for parents that are listening to this, like we're not like, we're not proponents of that. I don't think Alex is no. a proponent of that. Um, wait it out get better at lacrosse when your time comes your time comes and the chips fall where they fall right so but man that's that's stressful yeah that i mean not healthy i mean you look at a kid like ajax apatello who like was on the smaller end and like wasn't really getting recruited before the rule but now that they have this rule in place that lets a kid like him develop, like develop and mm-hmm. actually get to a place where like september 1st of his junior year like oh, now, like, just the kids who hit puberty first aren't the kid. Like, that was who was getting recruited right. back then, and now it kind of evens the playing field. And- For sure. I think it's a way healthier way of doing it. Um, what's what's super crazy is I just did the quick math in my head. You're talking about uh, Ivy League players. Oregon now has an and a kid on an Ivy League roster for five of the six schools. Yeah, yeah. Pretty wild. So are, which one? Are there, are we, are we, are we, we got missing? Conrad Collins at Yale. Yep. We got... You're going to Princeton. Sam Hanley's at Penn. Jack Schlendorf's at Harvard. Jack McG- uh, Jax McGinley is going to Dartmouth, and we just don't. We just need to get someone to Cornell. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're listening to this, you should go to Cornell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, biggest thing I'll say: keep the grades up. Yeah, that no. was that was the, bi- the the biggest positive of the early recruiting for me was it showed me how important school was from the get go because if you get a if you have a 2-2 after your freshman year, 
you can't really play in the Ivy League because no. it all matters the same. Like, well, you can't, you can't play in the Ivy League. You can't probably can't go to Duke. Yeah, can't go to Virginia. You can't, I mean, these are really academic schools we're talking about. You mm-hmm. can't. They're not even going to entertain the conversation after you tell them your grades. Yeah. So, um, I, re- I mean, I remember specifically, I had a three seven in high school, pretty decent SATs, good extracurriculars, taking advanced classes, and. I remember committing to Denver and you know, they were fine with those grades, like still a good school, but like that was like good enough to get me in and get me some academic money. And then I remember going to another tournament, performing well, Andy Shea at Yale calls. Um, this is when he could call me when I was a junior and he was like, Hey, saw you play, uh, really interested in like, you know, seeing what you're, are you like, how committed are you to Denver? Right. How committed, you know, I want to offer you an Ivy league, you know, spot if you come visit and like it. He and I said, "Oh, I'm super interested." And then the first question he asked was, "How are your grades?" And he, got, I said, three point seven two or whatever. And I, had whatever SAT score that was like upper upper echelon. He goes, "Ah, sorry, can't do it." Yeah. <laughs> and he hung up the phone. Yeah. And I was like, oh, "Okay, that was the quickest recruiting call I've ever had." I mean, I'm glad he was brutally honest. Just got rid, got over it quickly. But it's a crazy, you know, three seven like opens a lot of doors, but a three nine opens even more. Yeah. Right. And that's what if you want to hit the upper echelon of. Um, academic schools you're gonna have to have the grades yeah and like you just can't it doesn't matter how good of a player you are mm-hmm. um so super cool that you're going on to princeton we're gonna have another division one player that kids can look up to and watch on saturdays so super stoked for you what advice you know talk about grades anyone listening to this you need to get the grades the grades are so important but what other advice do you have to kids you know let's say kids they're sophomore, junior, about to be juniors, about to hit their recruiting stride. What advice do you have to them right now, today? Um, so the first thing is that I would say, which we already touched on, but you got to ride. And you got to do all that type of thing when you're playing. So, so ride for an attackman. Ride for an attackman. Midfielders, get back in the hole. Don't, don't suck wind back to the hole. Defensemen, clear the ball. Get ground balls. Be tenacious. Mm-hmm. Um, goalies, be an athlete. Don't just stand in that communication. Communication to so control the little things, right? Like and, the, the effort plays and make it obvious that you're the hardest worker on the field because right. that's every college coach. If they see that, they're going to be like, "Awesome!" Like even if he's not as good at like this specific skill, I know that if they're going to feel more comfortable with someone who they know is going balls to the wall all the time, and that's a kid that they want to work with for four years. Right. I mean, well, think about it from a kids might not think about it these college coaches are putting their livelihoods on 18 19 year olds their job their job their livelihood they got families they got kids like they're not going to take a kid that's a risk Mm -hmm. or like they might take a slight risk you know they might you might have a 3.6 of a 3.7 they really need you have a 3.7 but they might take that risk they're Mm -hmm. not going to take the risk of like so talented but man i don't think he works very hard that's too big of a risk for them Mm -hmm. right so huge control the controllables yeah it starts with effort and to kind of add on to that, like what you said, control the controllables, like go into it with a plan and like it don't just kind of go in with like, yeah, I want to go to Syracuse, Duke or UNC. Like that's going to be available to like a very small percentage of people. So I think something that's really important is make a list of the schools that you want to go to that are realistic fits grade wise, lacrosse wise and somewhere where you'd be happy and instead of having like 15 or 20 schools that you like send an email, like really focus on a couple places because coaches will actually, they value that. And it becomes apparent. Like if you're going to seven different prospect days, like they're going to know that. And, but if you're 
you go to the Dartmouth Prospect Day three years in a row, that's like a kid that then they're going to see and be like, wow, this kid really wants to be at my school. And that makes you a lot more recruitable. To talk about a kid like Jax McGinley, yes. who goes to who wanted Dartmouth, attacked it, got the grades high, controls the controllables, goes all out every time he plays. Now he's where he's at. Good things happen, but like things, you got to do the right things mm-hmm. that fall in the line. You can't just be talented, right? Um, so control the controllables, go as hard as you can, and have a finite plan. Yes, don't uh, don't limit yourself. Maybe so to speak, do the research required to get to that smaller list. Like don't just say okay my, my list is syracuse duke unc yeah. done yeah all right small list coach coach Schlesser told me to make a small list um that's not what he's telling you to do he's telling you make a big list do all the research you can that's not lacrosse specific mm-hmm. then narrow it down yes so and then assess your own grades mm-hmm. right you know if you're a sophomore junior if you got a three five well that's gonna eliminate a lot of schools you gotta be realistic with yourself mm-hmm. um so all right so that's the advice. We're going to wrap up with some, I call them like fun, more fun segments. I think it's like interesting to talk about like um, working across history, to, you mm-hmm. know, maybe test your history or test, you know, you want to give a shout out to someone else, but I love doing this stuff. Yeah. So. so one of the segments I want to start, especially um, with coaches, it'll, it'll be interesting to see the generational gap here. If I have people older than Alex or um, younger than Alex uh, to talk to, Oregon starting top 10 of all time. Like starting lineup. Starting lineup. You are in that lineup. Who are you playing alongside? All right. So first person, complete shoe-in for the lefty tack spot, I think, is Ryan Close. Ryan Close. Gotta gotta have a lefty. Gotta have a lefty. And at the same time, like, like, we'd always say, like, it doesn't mean a thing without a ring. And he won. He did. You got to give respect to that. So... That would be my lefty attackman. Um, as far as the other attack spot goes, I think it is. So I, I mean, anyone Peter Baum like attackman or a midfielder, but like I actually never watched him play in high school um, or really even his highlights in high school. Like I was watching him in college, but he was like, like he graduated in two thousand nine. I probably started playing lacrosse in like two thousand eleven. So like his high school days were. I, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of do this based off of people that. 2010 to, to 2020 people you watched people i watched or people whose highlights i watched mm-hmm. and so for that other attack spot i would i think you could go back and forth but i think it's between um you and sam hanley um and i sam's think bigger no sam and i think <laughs> no no disrespect to to you coach Marcotte. like i definitely think sam's skill set far was, better player than i was so yeah you're fine. yeah but i'm always gonna respect the rings mm-hmm. and like you three-peated so um that that's kind of where it gets tough. If you want to talk about like skill set versus like historical, like yeah, kind of like like you won more, but he was definitely like if the same defender was guarding the two of you, like Sam probably beats him more than you do. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, like he didn't lead his high school to three state championships. So while he is probably the most skilled player that's ever graduated, he's, like, a, besides uni- he's a unicorn of lacrosse. Yeah, complete unicorn, and like I. I don't know if there's ever been someone as as talented as him on a lacrosse field in Oregon. Um, no, just just the size skill combination he has is I I've never never seen, seen it. it in lacrosse. Yeah, let alone Oregon. Mm-hmm. Right. So no, I he's he was on my list until I gave historical preference to other people. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, Sam's too young. I got to go with an OG. But that's that's fair, man. Like Hanley's. So I got 
Ryan Close, lefty attackman, got to have a lefty. Yeah. Very skilled, very tough nose player, rides his butt off. Slushers at X, Hanley's on the right or wherever he probably wants to go because he's massive. Yeah. Who at the midfield are, is breaking everyone down and facilitating the attack? So I got to say, first midfielders I'm going to put on there, kids that I have experience mm-hmm. playing with, the Catlett brothers, or against, both, I guess. Both the Catlets. Both the Catlets. They, wow. They, um, I mean, God, I, I hope I'm not. There's definitely some people that I am forgetting, but when we played those dudes my freshman year, before Griffin moved and there was the year Holden graduated, mm-hmm. they tore us up. They were good and they were big and the, the thing about them is they the reason i would always want them on my team is because they played as hard as they could for at least when i saw them always playing as hard as well, they could defense offense middle of the field like face-offs freaks. Too, like yeah just yeah. just they did everything and like to win in oregon you need guys like that Absolutely. that can go both ways um so those would be my two midfielders and then the third one tucker dordovic um i probably should have said him i mean He's definitely well. You got okay. So you got your your bruisers, and then you have Tucker. He's yeah. gonna like slash everyone yeah. up. I mean, Tucker. Tucker's the. I mean, he's your scoring midfielder. I mean, he he's got he can do everything on offense. Um, Extremely hard worker. Everyone on this list works their tail off. So, yeah. um, all right, defense. All right, so defense first poll that I will would put on that team. Um, honestly, it's only kid really. Lo- I would say like he locked me up when we played him in a really important game and like got the better of me gay bones lot but wow he's young young you're younger than me but my least Col- favorite culver now right culver Col- mm-hmm. at culver i apparently he's blowing up on the rec- i mean yeah. i bet he'll because he reclassified too mm-hmm. so but that kid we played him in the league championship my junior year we'd beat him three times in a row um over the like the last two years and there were so many people at that game and my princeton coaches were there but two of them and <laughs> He he locked me up and yeah. like I'm gonna be honest like if there were if they were sliding to me like a normal team slides to a normal player I think I would have put a few more in on him but they they were sliding early and I had no answer for that so got to put Gabe there um, now I'm trying to think back to like the older um, well you got okay so you got your cover defenseman yeah like you got your cover guy super athletic. Def- defense needs an anchor yeah like so, a communication anchor i yeah and i think i don't know if you put him at lsm or close but you gotta have colin squires somewhere on the list you gotta um, you're gonna have to pick an lsm yeah um but colin what i like colin at why, why he's such a great close guy it's like he's on the field every rep and he's maybe not splitting shifts if he's such a good communicator i watched him play or coach a camp and he was like demoing defense stuff man he is a legit communicator that's probably why he sees so much time at denver outside of being a stud athlete yeah i mean he was literally covering sours when mm-hmm. they played princeton which means he was their number one cover guy yeah. um but yeah so i'd actually never got to like play with him but mm-hmm. i i think any defender who's gonna play at an extremely high level is gonna have to uh gonna have to communicate i think that's vital to mm-hmm. the uh to the, that piece um so now we got one more spot um God, a name that I'm thinking about right now is Joel Schwartz from Lakeridge. I he almost made my list. Yeah, um, it, throw throw the other names out because I, I feel like there's. Definitely... I had well, mine are old. Yeah, okay, like older than you would know. No, okay, like yeah. So I'll tell you my list, and you let me know if you know them. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think Joel Schwartz. I think there's like kind of a handful of guys that I'd put in that like like after. Mm-hmm. So I got to put Gabe in there because the dude locked me up mm-hmm. in a very important game, and I'll give respect where respects due, and then. Collins, I think the best poll 
that has gone on to play at the college yeah, level from Oregon without really a question. And then I just remember watching Joel Schwartz when I was in middle school mm-hmm. and that dude was scary. He's a big dude. Um, and so then I think you got a couple other guys. So Ajax Zapatello, mm-hmm. I think he's a stud. Jackson McGinley, John Fitzhenry, like got to play all sim. Ajax yeah, plays all yeah. sim. Um, all three of those guys, but I, I, I was very impressed with Ajax this year. Yeah. He did everything that he, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he got, this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he got the second most votes for player of the year. Probably could have. Uh, that, that, so that it kind of like whenever they put the list up on OHSLA, like they, I think they do it like the all Americans. It like seems like based on how many player of the year votes they got. Hmm. And I asked Ajax that, and he seemed to think that he got the second most votes too. So maybe they didn't do it like that, but I, that kid did, like he took face offs for his team. He played on man up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's an LSM for you. Yeah. You can do everything. Um, I think Keenan, you got to have Keenan in there. So, I mean, those guys are all kind of like mm-hmm. contending for it. Um, Emmett Jones was a stud, but I think he didn't play enough lacrosse in high school. He was unfortunately to, injured. Yeah, he was injured. He was, he's, I mean, man, when he was at his, Pink. when he was not injured, that kid was a monster. Monster. So, um, unfortunately, he got injured. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we get to see him play a little college ball here soon. But, yeah. Um, face-off guy. Um, that one is a tough one. So you could go with, say, you go hometown guy. I, no, I want to go with Tim, and that, yeah. that was the same thing. Like I was deciding between Ajax and John, but I, I really just think Ajax, like Ajax won like forty or fifty percent of the face-offs mm-hmm. for his team this year, which I think kind of gives him the edge over John, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. But what I will say is John's freshman and sophomore years, I've never seen a poll have as amazing of a freshman and a sophomore season mm-hmm. as, it's a as hard he did position to be that good at too when you're a freshman sophomore it, exactly um but as of right just because ajax was so impactful in all those different places like i gotta get and john's john's my guy so mm-hmm. that, that was a tough one but face off i'm gonna go with tim he was did not win as many face-offs in his high school career as jack savage or maybe like dylan tour the dude from westland when they were winning their chips oh well okay I got I got to put two focos Tim and Mitchell Senior because senior. Mitchell Mitchell pretty much I don't want to say he won Beaverton State Championship but they're not winning they're not even getting to the Final Four without that kid I mean he won every face off for them yeah. but the reason I'm going to put Tim in there is like whenever we like we would play against fate like Michael Shakran won a higher percentage of face offs than than Probably. Tim did when they weren't playing each other mm-hmm. but and same with Jack Savage but when we needed Tim to win us a face off. He Tim won us a face off mm-hmm. and and in the biggest moments he performed. So did you guys call him Turbo? At- yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I mean, I always I always just every time Timmy would I would just Timmy would score a goal. He's like so short. I should always bang on his helmet like Timmy, Timmy, like he's he was a good guy. And I good guarantee guy I know what your goalie pick is. Yeah, Jack Schlendorf. Yeah. Well, um, that's easy. That's that was I, an easy one. Tough. The only reason it's kind of tough is because Andrew Parker, like that's always the argument at OES, like mm-hmm. who's better, Parker or Jack, but and I still play with Parker, still amazing. And as a goalie coach, I don't know if there's a better goalie coach in the state of Oregon. Like what he did with Ryan Brown this year was incredible. And I, I don't know if anyone else could replicate that, but I mean, the reason I'll give it to Jack is that Jack's got two rings. Mm-hmm. Parker's got one. Um, so, but I think that one's really close because Parker did leave, lead the best defense to ever play in the game. Yeah. And he beat Peter bomb. They're like three. What do they hold people to like 2.6 goals a game? It's wild. And they beat 
Peter Baum, yeah. future Twarts and winner. Yeah. And guess that was your freshman year. That was my freshman year. Yeah. yeah. But that's a, that's a tough one between Jack and Parker. That's a funny list, man. Cause I, when I, it's so generationally based, right? Cause you're talking about 2010 later. I, I, yeah. I have the knowledge base to go back to like Oh seven. Okay. Um, I bet like if you ask coach solely, like his list is like, he's like picking like team captains of these teams and like yeah. Oh two. And I would, I'm curious to see what he says. Like the, the generational gap, um, mine were, mine was like, Pat Rogers at Lincoln. Yeah, stuff. Uh, unreal. Scored five goals, state champ- five of six goals in the state championship that Lincoln scored. They held OES to five, say one six to five. It was like one of the most incredible games I've ever seen from a player. Addison Van Hatcher. Yeah. X guy, like, is going to feed the rock every single time. Mm-hmm. And, like, got eyes in the back of his head. He is, he, before, when, when I was growing up, Addy was, like, the, like, most accomplished lacrosse player Oregon's seen, mm-hmm. right? Like from a high school perspective, like yeah. maybe they didn't go to like the most high level college, but like everyone knew who Addy was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Connor Martin. Yeah. So I, the thing is, is like at, so Addy coached me mm-hmm. um, at OES, like sporadically, like he was somewhat, cause his dad kind of started lacrosse mm-hmm. at OES. And like, that's the thing is like, I know Addy is amazing. I just like didn't have the, like I didn't get to watch any of those guys no, play you, in high school. You, know, you can't make a, but, judgment of something you didn't see right? like i've literally in with addy since like he was before the youtube days like i've never watched him like play a lacrosse game but yeah. like Super his skilled. his reputation like him specifically at oes i mean he's a he's a legend yeah. at oes and Absolutely. everyone i mean he, yeah he is one of if not the best player like most accomplished guys to, yeah. to come through the program so and then connor martin he was the, i think i want to say he was the first oregon player to play in the mll I, I can believe that. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was right before Bomb went in. Like, he was a great player, super mm-hmm. good. Um, my midfield line is super biased because it's all Lincoln dudes. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, to, I had to throw him in there. Peter Baum is the best player that has ever come out of the state of Oregon. I don't think there is a anyone that can question that yet, yep. right? I don't. You know, Sam Hanley's could possibly go win a Twarden based off his freshman year performance, but until you get that Twarden trophy or a national like even a national championship like you don't doesn't make you like the best player yeah that twarden is forever going to hold peter in that position like it's locked in um one of the best players i've ever seen still probably one of the best players in the world Mm -hmm. henry schoonmaker grinder catlet type took face i don't have a face-off guy on this list because i took two guys that could take face-offs and play the field Mm because back in the day you could do that yeah I have Aaron Prosser. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I coached me too. I, he is so a, his his dad coached me in rec lacrosse. Actually, he is a freak. Schoonmaker and Prosser are the two most freakish athletes that have most likely graced the lacrosse field in a yeah. long time in Oregon. Callets were close, but like Henry Schoonmaker, I think won like seventy. Like his this is you could back in then you could do this in like two thousand ten. Won seventy five percent of faceoffs, scored one hundred thirty points, had like two hundred thirty ground balls. So much just ridiculous. Like yeah. he, he won a state championship. I didn't even have to really play. Yeah. Aaron Prosser. And then the D is interesting to me because I took guys I was terrified of. Okay. <laughs> simply. There's a guy named Andy Fish, who's a Lincoln guy. Was he the dude that played football mm-hmm. at Yale? No, no, no. That was a different guy. Oh, Andy okay. Fish played one year lacrosse at Albany. Okay. Uh, freak. Every time I put a helmet on, scared the daylights out of me. I've seen him. I've seen him now, and he's like not as scary because like the height difference back then yeah. was like. So he scared the crap out of me. He's like your bruiser. My arch nemesis like the best defenseman i, I could not solve him was a guy named Mik- mikhail oh, Kareen. yeah Mikhail. one of the best 
loaded defenseman, like cover anybody, super strong, super physical, great communicator, solely defenseman, right? Dennis Olvin crafted a perfect defenseman for himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then a guy named, uh, probably you don't know, is Ben Smood. Yeah, I don't know. Lakeridge guy. I've seen him play several times. Takeaway artist, like, had all the checks in the book. Like, you had to protect your stick or the ball's on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then the goalie man was Andrew Parker. Yeah. Andrew Parker. Like, OES is, just pumps out these goalies that, like, yeah. save the ball. And I don't know why. Yeah. But Andrew Parker, you couldn't put the ball in the net. Mm-hmm. We got to, we were the first team to score double digits on him in the state. I think we scored 10. OES scored 12 in the state championship. And unfortunately, like, we got to the number we thought, like, was going to win the game because Parker was in the net and we still lost. But, yeah. Um, Prior to then, he only let up like five or six a game. Yeah, two on most games. Um, so super interesting. I love the generational gap there. Mm-hmm. It just shows you that like lacrosse is growing. Like we could put together two lists. Yeah, like I'm sure Dennis Olvin could put together a third list that's completely different, or like yeah. Cam Rayfish could put together a different list. Like there's enough players in Oregon now. Like we kind of we're starting to establish ourselves mm-hmm. on a larger landscape than um, we have been able to before. All right. Next next question. Toughest defender you've ever played against your high school career in Oregon? Yeah, so I think I kind of said that um, earlier, but, like, I got to give it to Gabe Bowenslot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Emmett had his moments, mm-hmm. but, like, he also, like, had three penalties in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. state championship. And, like, what I'll always say is, like, like that game when we lost to Lincoln, the league championship, which if you go to either OES or Lincoln and you play lacrosse there, you like, that's a bit – it doesn't seem like it'd be a rivalry – it's a big rivalry. Oh, it's a huge and, rivalry. And it the, was started back in like 2005 or six, like same league, like yeah. vying for league title. Like it's a deep, it's a deeper rooted rivalry than most people think. Well, it's it's kind of like the LO Lakeridge thing, in the sense that like a lot of the OES kids, and we actually had more LO bodies than typically, but like most of the kids that go to OES, or at least a good percentage of them, would Lincoln would be their public school, right? So that kind of like I played on the same like select team growing up as all the kids we played against when we played Lincoln um in high school and that was i mean i always like to think that like we always say like we played the long game like they won the league championship we won the state championship that year but he locked me up my Mm -hmm. both my princeton coaches were there and gotta give credit where credit's due yeah no i mean heck man like i give it to mine would be mikhail tureen because he i couldn't get like he probably stripped me more than anybody else yeah um all right We'll end, the, we'll end this podcast with your advice to young players right now listening. What's the one thing they can go do to improve their game today? One thing they can go do. Um, so I'll, I'll do two, two, two separate. There's two pieces of advice that I can give, give a young player. The, the first is it, it literally comes down to who's putting in more reps. Um, lacrosse is one of those things where you literally are as good as how much you practice. And it's all, I mean, there's people like Sam Hanley who are just naturally gifted athletically, but like I'm a naturally pretty gifted athlete, but the, like the reason that like all those accolades came my way was because I worked hard. So find a way to get your reps in every single day and make a habit out of it. Because if you build good habits, those will last you a very, very long time. And so going out and getting, 500 reps on the wall and 100 shots up a day. If you do that all summer, you're going to come into the fall a different player. Um, you're going to be shooting the ball faster. You're going to be shooting with like 
it's going to feel more natural. So that's the one thing. And then the other thing is just watch lacrosse and, yeah. and dream big. Um, because that's where it all starts is like, if you have this vision in your head of like where you want to see yourself and the way you get that vision is by like what you said, like it's about emulating before you can innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a quote, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are the two things that I would say, um, are very important. Find a wall, grab a bike, don't ask your parents to drive you around everywhere because they don't want to, I promise. Yeah. Mom does maybe sometimes, but she doesn't want to all the time. Figure out a way to find a wall, find a cage, and then every kid in the world, country, not world, but country that could possibly listen to this has a smartphone. Please yeah. watch the cross highlights. Yes. Find a player that really gravitates, you really gravitate towards. They don't even have to be like your size or skill set, but gravitate towards like you have a connection to them and never even met them kind of thing. And emulate everything they do, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, it's just like you're probably emulating at some point what to what Sowers does. Def- right? oh. Michael Sowers, one of the best players in the country. You're going to go play with him next year. Like you have an amazing opportunity to learn from. You're going to go emulate. Yeah, you're I mean, gonna like you're going to watch him dodge, and you're going to go try the same dodge, guaranteed. First his, day of practice. His picture, his picture has been in, up in my room since yeah. his freshman year. Like, like I got like, like Miles Jones and Lyle Thompson on that like inside the cross cover where they're mm-hmm. together just cause I was a big fan of both of them and Sowers and, and I was always a big Pinnell guy too. Yeah. Um, but put like, like find like a hero and like put him on your wall and like make him your screensaver. Cause like you're going to, for me when I was young, it was always Kobe Bryant. Um, which even though it was a different sport, like just well, his work, work ethic, ethic, his work yeah. ethic and his, his, his drive and his, his killer, his killer instinct. Um, but yeah, find those heroes because they'll have more of an effect on you than than you would think. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Just over an hour and a half of a podcast. That's long. It goes faster than you think, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, when you're talking lacrosse, it always goes fast. Um, so for the people listening, hopefully put out a podcast every one to two weeks. That's the goal. Um, follow us on Instagram. We'll have, a, we'll have a handle up pretty soon under the name Oregon Lacrosse Podcast, something like that. You'll find clips of Alex talking. You'll find clips of all our next podcast kind of teasers of who's coming on who's not um hopefully to get a big time head coach here um to talk soon kind of mix it up but uh thanks for listening uh alex thanks for being on yeah thank you it's great yeah all right cool